beautiful to confess the Lord, King of glory now. The week gone by, we've all been given opportunity to give focus on who Jesus is and why he has come. And as we would go through the congregation, <clears throat> those reflections would vary from person to person, but truly the people of the Lord have a calling to meditate on what it is the Lord God has accomplished for our sake, what he has purposed for our traveling days. I want to read with you at this time from the Belgic Confession, reading Articles 18 and 19, as we give some post-reflection to the great testimony that we could lift before the Lord in the coming of our Savior. Article 18 uh, comes to us under the, the theme of the Incarnation in the context of the recovery that the Lord God has, by His marvelous wisdom and goodness, uh, set before us. And uh, he, in his love, then sent the Son, and Article 18, Declaration of our Forefathers, so then we confess that God fulfilled the promise which he had made to the earthly fathers by the mouth of his holy prophets when he sent his only and eternal Son into the world at the time set by him. The Son uh, took the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man, truly assuming a real human nature with all its weaknesses except for sin. Being conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit without male participation. And he not only assumed human nature as far as the body is concerned, but also a real human soul in order that he might be a real human being. For since the soul had been lost as well as the body, he had to assume them both to save them both together. And therefore, we confess against the heresy of the Anabaptists who denied that Christ assumed human flesh from his mother, that he shared the very flesh and blood of children, that, is, that he is the fruit of the loins of David according to the flesh, born of the seed of David according to the flesh, fruit of the womb of the Virgin Mary, born of a woman, the seed of David, a shoot from the root of Jesse, the offspring of Judah, having descended from the Jews according to the flesh, from the seed of Abraham, for he assumed Abraham's seed and was made like his brothers except for sin. In this way he is truly our Emmanuel, that is, God with us. Then Article 19, the two natures of Christ, beginning with those wonderful words, we believe. We believe that by being thus conceived by the person of the Son has been 
inseparably united and joined together with human nature in such a way that there are not two sons of God nor two persons, but two natures united in a single person with each nature retaining its own distinct properties. Thus, his divine nature has always remained uncreated without beginning of days or end of life, filling heaven and earth. His human nature has not lost its properties, but continues to have those of a creature. It has beginning of days, it is of a finite nature, and retains all that belongs to a real body. And even though he, by his resurrection, gave it immortality, that nonetheless did not change the reality of his human nature. For our salvation and resurrection depend also on the reality of his body. But these two natures are so united together in one person that they are not even separated by his death. So then, what he committed to his father when he died was a real human spirit which left his body. But meanwhile, his divine nature remained united with his human nature even when he was lying in the grave and his deity never ceased to be in him just as it was in him when he was a little child, though for a little while it did not show itself as such. These are the reasons why we confess him to be true God and true man, true God in order to conquer death by his power, and true man, that he might die for us in the weakness of his flesh. Belgic Confession, Articles 18 and 19. Then to the Holy Scriptures, let's first turn to Psalm 2. We recognize that uh, the coming of Christ is multifaceted, uh, many aspects to Christ's coming. This morning we want to give some attention to the fact that in his coming he has come to rule the nations and that he also rules with a, a, a rod of iron, that rod uh, symbolizing his uh, royal scepter, symbolizing the authority and the power and the strength of, of Jesus Christ's rule over his people and over, indeed, the nations and all creation. Psalm 2. It's a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that reflects the reign and rule of a king. Why? Psalm 2, the word of God speaks. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep, deep displeasure. 
Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And then turning to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12. Twelfth chapter of the book of Revelation, we'll read the first six verses. God speaks to us thus, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child. As soon as it was born, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,200 and 60 days. And then as text, the opening portion of verse 5, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we think of the majesty of our Savior, as we give thought to the person of Christ, as we contemplate his coming, we rejoice to understand that the Lord God in his 
loving kindness and mercy has sent a Savior to do a mighty work. And we must remember that there are many reasons for the coming of Christ. We think of Matthew 10 and verse 34 where Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace to earth. No, I, I tell you, rather division. And then we also think of what the Lord said to Pilate uh, on the eve of his crucifixion, as we find it in John chapter 18. Pilate is questioning Jesus. He's himself pondering why Jesus has stood before him, and he's testing Jesus in his questions. The Lord Jesus has spoken to him that uh, the kingdom of the Lord is not uh, an earthly kingdom. If my kingdom were of this world, my, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So this morning we want to hear again the voice of our Lord. We want to be a, a, a people of the truth for the sake of the totality of what truth stands for. The season past is not merely one of sentimentality. Uh, ought never be. It must be of sober reflection and joyful reflection. Now in, in uh, Revelation chapter 12, we're given a, a vision, a vision given to John. It's an awe-inspiring vision, breathtaking, a vision that, that helps believers understand the plan of God in the unfolding of salvation history according to the line of promise. Uh, the vision covers all of history in a short series of pictures. Uh, we might say little snapshots. And the opening snapshot is of the woman representing the church. Great is his glory. The moon is her footstool. The sun is her brilliant robe, and the stars crown her head. The sun and the stars have uh, been worshipped by people of the earth throughout time. Millions to this day are very superstitious about these heavenly bodies. Uh, there are those who are devoted to astrology, and even more those who are devoted to their horoscopes. But God says by means of this picture that the sun, the moon, and the stars are but, as it were, decorations, ornaments of his church and her people, of everything in creation. The church is to stand foremost. She is Christ's new creation. Now, throughout history, there has been much debate as to the question as to what of creation stands at the center of the universe. Is it the sun? Is it the earth? And to that question, the Lord gives this answer. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ constitutes the heart of the universe. What a wonder that the Bethel congregation may be part of that heart. 
happens. Everything turns around the church by virtue of her bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this woman is ready to deliver a child. It is said that one picture is worth a thousand words. And the picture before us sums up the history that brought forth the birth of the Messiah. All the history before the birth of Christ can be summed up in that central theme of awaiting anticipation of the birth of the Savior. All of history was directed to that first Christmas day long ago, just as all of history since. The ascension of our Redeemer is directed toward the second coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, this vision does not only summarize history, it in interprets history. The single purpose of Israel under the banner of God's glory was to bring the deliverer into the world, the mediator of the covenant of grace, the people of the Lord to live in covenantal fellowship, anticipating. And God upheld his promise. He maintained his promise, but let it never be forgot that the whole of Old Testament history is properly told in one picture. Pangs of birth. Anguish to be delivered. And praise be to God. What we celebrate in the incarnation of our Savior, what we celebrate in his coming is the realization of that delivery. A second picture, the fiery red glow of a dragon, a dragon poised for the attack. And this dragon wants to occupy the throne of this world. His seven heads and ten horns tell of his gigantic intellectual and physical power. He threatens the woman. He wants to break the line of promise. He wants to consume the Savior. He wants to make the woman's son his victim, as one Bible teacher put it. Her son is the opposing candidate for the throne of this world. Her son is God's candidate. The believers at that time of John understood that picture well. All through the history of Israel, that line has been opposed. And those attacks came in various ways, such as Pharaoh in Egypt when he tried to drown. The baby boys, the Amalekites, the Philistines, and the other nations attempted to destroy God's people, but none succeeded. He tried again in Bethlehem and failed again. But what was even worse, the Israelites, nearly destroyed by their own sins, these we might call the devil's internal attacks on Israel's existence. And from a human point of view, the dragon nearly succeeded. There were moments in the history of Israel when God himself admitted that his people were no better than the nations that he had destroyed because of their sins. In fact, sometimes God's own people were no better than Sodom and Gomorrah. 
But because God so loved the world, that is, because God so loved those whom he intended to gather unto himself, he made sure that his only begotten Son would enter this world so that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved his covenant people that his promise did not fail. Zion would give birth to the Son, and for that reason and for the glory of his own name's sake, he spared the woman from the fury of the dragon. And now, by means of our text, we come to a third picture. This is a picture of the birth of a child. But this Christmas picture is not one of gently falling snowflakes or serenading carol singers. Again, Christmas should never be for us merely a, a time of nostalgia and sentimentality. We ought not sanitize Christmas. The Christ came into this world for battle. Battle against sin and the dominion of the evil one. And while the Lamb of God lived as a suffering servant, he waged war against powers and principalities. And one day he shall come again as the ruling king an avenging judge. We need to keep the whole picture together. Our text is a remarkable description, these six verses of the life and work of Jesus. He was born and he was caught up to God and to his throne. He was born to serve as the suffering servants. He was born to die. And he arose to reign. We might say that our confession of faith might be gathered in one sentence. Jesus, the suffering servant, born to serve and arising to reign. But from beginning to end, a king. And as we think of these things, as we must, as we stir them up in our souls, in our hearts... We see, yes, he is not only one who has come, he has come to rule the nations, and to rule those nations with a rod of iron. It was a long day in coming. How long the covenant people, the true believers, cried out. Generation after generation passed, the flicker of light often faded to the point where it seemed that, that there was no light left. And yet God did not forsake his promise, for at last that great day arrived. And while much of the world to this day was then and is now oblivious, unaware of the king's arrival, the imposter prince of this world was not and is not. The dragon was waiting for this day. He knew the promise of Genesis 3 and 15 also spoken to him. He is waiting to destroy the Savior even at his birth. And it is with the incarnation, what a beautiful word, incarnation, the embodiment, the personification of God in the flesh, our Emmanuel, 
that the enmity between the serpent and the seed of the woman reaches uh, a very great intensity. Lucifer wants to make another preemptive attack, and from his point of view, it is much more than damage control. It is a glorious opportunity to break the line of promise once and for all. But thanks be to God, this male child born of the Virgin Mary is protected from the slaughter of the children in Bethlehem. The devil may think that, that God is only one step ahead of him, but never forget, God is God, and that his plan would fail is impossible. Nonetheless, the sneaky snake doesn't quit too easily. His attack is constant. He doesn't plan on giving up. In his view, the child must be eliminated, and so this uh, dragon, the devil, does not cease to attack our Lord throughout his ministry and even in his hours of dying. But no matter how fervently the dragon may want to seize the child and destroy him, all his attempts fail and he is foiled once again. The child is snatched away to God and to his throne. He does not just escape uh, the roaring lion's attacks, but he is exalted in his ascension to the highest glory and power. The fact that the child was caught up to God emphasizes the completeness of Satan's failures. Instead of being destroyed, he's given a throne and it's a blessed victory. To be sure, our hearts well up with thankfulness for the coming child. Jesus and Jesus alone brings meaning and purpose to our lives. And without the coming of the Christ child, life would be a total disaster. Those who, who do not know the Christ are coming to a day of eternal disaster. It is something that must make our hearts tremble. There are those even near and dear to us who have walked away from the Lord, who are walking their own way, and they face eternal disaster. What a blessing to live with the conviction that Christ, by virtue of his death and victory over death, spares us from that eternal disaster. And how great it is to again reflect on the wonder of Christ, not only coming into this world, but into our hearts, into our hearts by means of his word and spirit. We could never receive a richer gift. Christ will always remain the indescribable gift. The wages of sin is death, the Bible teaches. But the Bible goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That gift has come to rule, to rule the nations. Our world belongs to God, not to the dragon. 
Uh, we sing in one of our carols, he rules the world with what? Truth and grace. It makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, the wonders of his love. That rule is, first of all, a rule of our hearts. But not only the heart, for the whole of life, every aspect of our lives must come under the rule of Christ. We divide history into two parts. The years before Christ we note by writing B.C. Although the, the world at large wants to add an extra letter, they say B.C.E., before the Common Era. Uh, but we know better. We know better. We know them to be the years of anticipation. And we write A.D. before the number of the year in which we are now living. And when you ask the children at school, or if I would ask them to give answer to my question, what does BC stand for? Uh, I'm sure that many of the children could quickly respond by answering before Christ. But when you ask them, or when we ask each other, what does AD stand for, there's a sense of hesitation. There are those who would guess, well, that the A stands for after, and then they think the D should be a C to divide history into a time before Christ and a time after Christ's ascension. However, students know, or ought to know, that AD stands for Anno Domini a Latin phrase, which means in the year of our Lord. We're coming to the end of the year of our Lord, 2023, anticipating the year of our Lord, 2024. Now, this is not a little matter. As one Bible teacher reminds us, we have the sinful tendency to think that we're living after Christ instead of under Christ. Uh, countless people think of Jesus Christ as a past figure of history, but he is not past. He is present. He is with us even now. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are not living after he lived. We are living during and under the reign of our majestic Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And since we by nature are short-sighted, by nature we're unbelieving. We can go through our days without realizing that Jesus lives and that he's ruling the world. When we go forth in our, our daily activities, how close is the conviction that Jesus Christ is our living and ruling Lord? Is how, how close does that sit beside us? As we sing, he rules the world by truth and grace. Therefore, we need to be reminded by the words and the teaching of our scripture text, the child has been born and he's on the throne. And nothing is going to change that no matter what the world may say. In our culture of so-called diversity, in our culture of so-called multiculturalism, uh, the society can try to slowly put that to the side but that's impossible. Humanly speaking, the, the dragon's opportunities are past. And beloved, that needs to give you and I 
needs to give the congregation both great confidence and comfort. The Lord's plans are sure. Yes, there's clouds in the sky, going to cloud sunshine. Uh, but ultimately, we have to live in the midst of swirling circumstances in the world at large uh, that the confidence and the comfort that the Lord sets before us and in us is, is our calling, our calling to acknowledge the reign of our God in all that we do and say. And Psalm 2 makes that very clear. Psalm 2 is a coronation psalm. A psalm such as Psalm 2 may have been used to mark the crowning of Israel's kings. However, it more clearly looks forward to and prophesies of the king of kings. His kingship comes uh, to the pinnacle of glory in Zion. In the church, God himself installs his son as king. Christ fulfills Psalm 2. The present age in which we live is, is the age of Christ's universal reign over the entire earth. Christ has dominion. Also over the dominion of Canada. Prime ministers come and go. We don't know how the affairs of nation may unfold. But we do know that Jesus reigns and rules. His rule is not subject to a leadership review. His rule is not subject to the public opinion polls. His rule is not subject to the power brokers of Bay Street. His rule is absolute. <clears throat> when Abraham was told that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him, that blessing resulted in the arrival of Christ. The same Christ who gives the church, also the church here at Bethel, her marching orders in the Great Commission to go, to make disciples, to teach. In Psalm 2, the Lord says, those disciples are my inheritance. Teach my inheritance to observe all that I have commanded Baptize them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And indeed, if we are to be active under Christ's rule, in Christ's rule, we have to be active in making disciples. disciples Disciple-making brings glory to God. And God wills to use us in making disciples. And we think of our little ones, our children, Children entrusted in, to our care, beautiful gifts. But our children, too, must bow the knee before Christ. And the community in which we live needs to hear a message that they, too, may know something of the glory of the kingdom of God. The dragon will not rest easy. We see evidences of the dragon's power in, even in our own church life. And we think, now what has happened to the churches of our land, a land that has at one time empty streets on the Lord's Day and people walking to church? 
The church came first, but no longer. The opposition against Christ's rule continues to, as it were, claw, claw. And then we think of the intensification of persecution in many parts of the world. Yet the rule of Christ ultimately will not be obstructed or held back for, as the Bible teaches, he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. The iron of Christ symbolizes his power. It's a a scepter. It's a, a symbol of the shepherd's staff. His rule is literally his shepherding care. His shepherding care under his word and by his spirit. His shepherding care by means of the means of grace. He is the good shepherd. And with him we shall lack nothing. And here we're not first of all speaking of our physical needs, but rather our spiritual needs. He supplies our needs by means of his church. He supplies our needs by, by, by means of the sacraments. When we participate in the Holy Supper, we say something about Christ's rule. When we participate in the Supper, we, we're asking that our appetite for the Lord and his rule in our lives might increase as we answer his call. Do this in remembrance of me. We're asking that, that, that our craving for God and for the worship of God, for the reflection, the study of his word, would increase and that we might put away the so-called junk food of our lives. And in the partaking of bread and wine, we are declaring to our God, Thou art our righteousness, and we hunger and thirst for Thy righteousness. Baptism. We see those waters. We see the rule of Christ symbolized in those waters that declare the washing away of our sins. Christmas is God's righteousness come into the world in the flesh. Perhaps some have asked you, are you ready for Christmas? Or they may now ask, did you have a good Christmas? Well, we should always be ready for Christmas. And we should always be willing to give a good answer as to the heart of the Christmas message. We need to acknowledge Christ's rule in our lives. And we'll be ready for Christmas even tomorrow, today, if we have our eyes set toward that day when he returns again. Getting ready for Christmas is getting ready for the second coming. Now, in the church at large, uh, many view the church as some kind of country club. Uh, Our society wants comfort, but the best thing for our society would be if it was taken out of its comfort zone. And that, that will happen to us too as 
the opposition against the gospel increases even in our, in our land. But to remember that a comfortable pew is a terrible thing. The comfort that Christ came to bring is the comfort of knowing the true way of salvation. The comfort of knowing that our sins might be forgiven by the shed blood of the Redeemer. The comfort of belonging body and soul to our faithful Savior. The gentle lamb will one day come back as the avenging judge. He will not allow the rebellion of this world to carry on forever. The cup of iniquity is slowly spilling over. Those who do not know what it is to kiss the Son, that is to serve Him with humble submission, will one day have to face the Savior as an eternal judge. And, and then they will find out that Christ will either be a whole Savior or none at all. May our triune God grant congregation for us that we experience a growing sense of the Savior's glory and greatness. Uh, may the Spirit shine in our hearts so that we may see the compassion of the Father in the sending of His Son so that He might rule our lives instead of our lives being ruled by the dragon. The dragon's rule is a dead end. His rule will devour those who refuse to kiss the Son. The rule of the Savior, the one with the shepherd's staff, is a rule in which the people of the Lord will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and forever. Amen. Father in heaven, we rejoice to bear witness to the gospel. We rejoice to express our gratitude for the good news. We are thankful, Father, that we do not live in darkness, but we have been given the light of thy word. We have been given the light of Christ. He who is the light of this world. And we thank thee, Lord, that we may be given a heart that does not reduce the coming of Christ to a single day in the year, but that we may, by thy grace, acknowledge over and over again that Christ has come to rule the nations and to rule the nations with that rod of iron and with the shepherd's staff. And so, Lord, apply thy word to our hearts. Lord, find us in a, a time of contemplation as we think of what God has done. Oh, Lord God, indeed we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to hallow thy name as we await the return of thy dear Son at the appointed time. As we anticipate the second advent in its fulfillment. Oh Lord God, we look forward to that glory. And while we wait for that glory, Lord, find us faithful. Lord, find us a, a people of faith and being filled with faith. 
Find us, Lord, seeking thee, seeking thy cause, living under Christ's crown for thy glory's sake. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.